Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It is Rapare, that's Thursday, the 22nd of September. Kornathan Rarere, aho. Coming up, we will be in New York as Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern prepares to address the United Nations General Assembly. And in New York, Donald Trump is back in the spotlight. The Southern District of New York, New York lays out its fraud case against him. Acting Prime Minister Grant Robinson is here to talk inquiries and seats And... Dozens have joined the search for a dog missing in South Auckland as his desperate owners are sleeping in the park where he was last seen a week ago. He's our everything. We don't have a human child. He's our fur baby. He's our child. So he's not just a dog or a pet, but he's our child. Yeah. Welcome to First Up, I'm Nathan Rarere. We begin this morning in the United Kingdom and uh, it's the cost of living crisis that's back in the headlines. Joining me now from London is our correspondent Henry Riley. Morena Henry. Kia Nathan. So tell me about this, The you know, obviously the, the Queen's funeral was, was massive news and it soaked up all of the news 24-7 there as well. Other things been bubbling along. Tell us about the, the cost of energy crisis remaining there in the UK. Yeah, well, this is something that obviously the government's been in some sort of paralysis because of the Queen's uh, period. And so we've had a sort of period of... Uh, days of the morning period where government didn't really function as it should. And as we've spoken about in recent weeks, there is this big cost of energy uh, crisis in the UK. Now, we've got a mini budget coming on Friday where the new chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, will be announcing various fiscal measures. There are various things which are rumoured uh, to be announced, such as the uh, rise, planned rise in corporation tax being scrapped and the um, uh, rate of income tax being cut as well. But what we heard today was from the business secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and it was specifically energy bills for UK businesses. The business secretary said that there are some businesses who've seen a 500% increase in their energy bills. And obviously for any business, that is astronomical. And for many businesses, it means they can't survive. So what the government have decided they're going to do is uh, energy bills for UK businesses will be cut by around half their expected level this winter. This is a government support package. Um, it will fix wholesale energy energy, uh, gas and electricity prices. It will be for six months starting on the 1st of October, so in just a couple of weeks' time. And it will mean that various businesses are shielded from those crippling costs. Now, various opponents say this has come too late and there are pubs and there are businesses that have been shut already. Uh, the government say that they, you know, a scheme like this takes time to implement and they want to make sure they get it absolutely right and that their scheme makes sure, sure that it includes hospitals, schools, schools and charities as well. So the government would say that they've acted quickly and as soon as they've been able to they've uh, put support measures in place for businesses Right, uh, just for New Zealand listeners there too I saw a report in stuff this morning so the average power bill uh, works out at about uh, for, for households works out at about 500 New Zealand dollars a month right now if you're doing some comparison shopping uh, Let's talk about the war So, so wow. Downing, Downing wow. Street says that uh, Vladimir Putin ha- has admitted his invasion of Ukraine is failing What, what makes them confident to say that? 
Well, this obviously comes from the somewhat desperate attempt by Vladimir Putin uh, this morning, UK time, where he was speaking about, you know, various military advances and referendums and all kinds of stuff that, you know, British public aren't in support of at all. Now, the Ukraine issue is an interesting one for the government because it's one where they've got very strong government support. And if you were somewhat cynical, you'd suggest that perhaps this is a bread and butter issue for the government where they can talk tough. No one likes President Putin in the West, you know, at the moment, you know, uh, leader wise. And so it's it's very easy to to sort of, you know, make a statement like this. And they are, you know, Liz Truss was the foreign secretary, obviously, now our prime minister during uh, the start of this conflict back in February. And she's made it very clear. She's obviously in New York at the moment, head of the UN General Assembly. She's got a speech there on Thursday morning. And she's making very clear that the UK will stand by Ukraine. She said they're going to uh, stick to the same uh, amount of spending, which is interesting because the financial pressures on the UK at the moment are almost astronomical. We are paying for those support packages for energy prices. We're still paying off the furlough scheme. And, you know, in many ways, rightly so, we're continuing our military uh, financial support for Ukraine. But you you do get the sense that it is an awful lot of expenditure that is going out of the UK at the moment, particularly at a time where the only fiscal measures we're hearing from the government is about cutting taxes. So various people are wondering how this is going to be funded. But the government's standing squarely behind Ukraine and uh, very critical, as you would expect, of President Putin. Speaking of costs, uh, we, we all marvelled at the grandness of, of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. But then I wondered, man, what, what about the, the coronation of King Charles? But I understand, Henry, it sounds like he's reading the room a bit on costs. Hello? Sorry, Nathan, I missed that last bit. Oh, sorry, buddy. I was, I was just saying about uh, King Charles, his coronation. It's It sounds like he's reading the room a bit on, you know, perhaps toning the costs down on things. Yes, and there were various people watching the Queen's funeral who were, you know, you've got various royal commentators going, and of course that is uh, the Duke of Gloucester, the third Earl Viscount, and people are wondering, who are these members of the royal family? Like, you know, it's a really solemn occasion, and of course you want them to grieve, but you're, you're actually wondering, who are these people? Like, you've got people like Prince Andrew who've been frozen out of the royal family. We get where they've descended from, but there are actually various members where, you know, it's, it's somewhat funny, where you, you, are, you do actually wonder... In what way are they related to the to the throne? And so that's caused some consternation as to how all these people have all these sort of military uniforms when no one can really, you know, if you fell over them in the street, you wouldn't actually know who they were. But um, yeah, the the um, coronation, which we expect to take place in June, it hasn't been confirmed, but that is the sort of rumour at the moment, June 2023. And the king reading the room, as you say, saying that it's going to be a more scaled back affair. Now, if we go back to 1953, which is when the Queen's one was, it cost 1.57 million, which is the equivalent of around 46 million pounds a day. I think that sort of money was spent, given the cost of living crisis at the moment, the Royal Family would be in for some... Uh, for some yeah, we'll leave, leave that sort of spending to the football clubs. Thank you uh, very much, Henry Riley, uh, there in uh, the UK. Well, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin has announced a partial military mobilisation to help fight the war in Ukraine. So in a televised address, the president says the West wants to see the end of Russia, as it did the end of the Soviet Union more than 30 years ago. This comes a day after Russian-controlled territories in Ukraine announced a vote on joining the Russian Federation. Mr Putin says says he would support independence in areas of Ukraine already controlled by Russia-backed separatists. I repeat, we're talking of a partial mobilisation only. 
Only people in the military reserve will be drafted. The priority will be on people who served in the armed forces, who have military specialization and experience. Those drafted before being sent to the places of service will have mandatory additional training, relying on experience gained during the special military operation. The decree on partial mobilization has been signed. The Russian president also issued this blunt warning. I want to remind those who allow themselves such statements about Russia that our country also has a variety of weapons of destruction. And if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will, without question, use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. The BBC Moscow's correspondent Steve Rosenberg has more. What we heard, first of all, from the Russian president was an admission an admission that things haven't been going that well in Ukraine. Until today, the the official message from the Kremlin to the people here has been that everything is going according to plan with this special military operation. Well, it clearly isn't. If the Russian president is now declaring a partial mobilization and calling up potentially 300,000 military reservists. Things haven't been going according to plan. But did he say to the Russian people, sorry, this was our mistake, we got it wrong? Of course he didn't. Vladimir Putin did what he does so often. He turned attention to the West and blamed the West and accused the West of wanting Russia's destruction, wanting the disintegration of Russia, blamed everything on the collective West, uh, as he put it. It is 14 past five, we'll call it here. You are listening to First Up here on RNZ National. What do you make of those thoughts? First off, a couple of thoughts I've had this morning. Just chuck them around there in your head. We always love getting feedback from you in the audience. 2101 is, of course, the phone number that you can text to, or, of course, you can uh, email us at any time. But I would just like to know this. Your thoughts on, do those words from, uh, the pres- uh, from Vladimir Putin, do they make you think that he actually might use nuclear weapons I mean he did sign it off with this is not a bluff but do you believe uh, that and the other one too is what do you make of King Charles uh, deciding that he will pair things back a little bit uh, on his uh, coronation next year because I guess one of the things I think of surely the coronation of uh, the, the monarch of, of a commonwealth is supposed to be grand uh, that is a giant part of it. So 2101 uh, to to be able to uh, uh, hear from you and love your feedback on those. So European leaders are reacting to Vladimir Putin's threats over the Ukraine. Uh, with me now in Sweden is our correspondent Anita Purcell-Sherland. Morena, doctor, how are you? Fine, thank you. Hello. Hey, so we just heard that. Uh, threatens all the weapons, calling up 300,000 reservists. What are European leaders saying about that? Well, some Western nations have suggested that they'll not provide asylum or refuge to people fleeing Russia. And these include Latvia, which announced it will not offer refuge to any Russians escaping Moscow's mobilization of troops. Also, Finland has said it was tightening its visa policy for Russian citizens. At the United Nations General Assembly, Germany and France have condemned what they call President Putin's imperialism, while Lithuania is calling for the establishment of a war crimes tribunal to punish Moscow's atrocities. Now, according to Reuters, NATO General Secretary Jens Stoltenberg, 
said that Putin's speech indicated that the war wasn't going according to his plans and that his words were an escalation, not a surprise. And uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has urged the West to not be blackmailed by um, Putin's threat. You know, uh, it's it's quite far-reaching all around Europe. I see German police have raided several properties understood to belong to a Russian oligarch. What What are they looking for there? Well, basically, the Russian oligarch is Alicia Usmanov, and he's under suspicion of money laundering and violations of EU sanctions over Russia's war in Ukraine. Now, the raid um, in Munich was carried out by more than 250 police officers on Wednesday, and there were also raids carried out in Baden-Württemberg, Hamburg, and Schleswig-Holstein. Usmanov is an early Facebook investor who made his fortune in mining and sports, and not only is he hit with EU sanctions, but he's also hit with um, US, UK and Swiss sanctions and asset freezing. Oh. Um, now, uh, you know, refugees was always a, a hot topic over the last 10 years or so. Thousands of Syrian refugees uh, have attempted a mass migration to the EU. Yeah, over the last two days, Syrian refugees in Turkey formed a human convoy, which organisers have called the Caravan of Light. Now, the number of people in the caravan is unclear, but the organisers who are believed to be Syrian refugees estimate 100,000 people. On Monday, caravan members began their journey to a meeting point in the northwest town of Edin in Turkey near the border with Greece with plans to walk across the Greek border to make their way into the EU. Now, there are more than 3.5 million Syrian refugees in Turkey, and there have been reports of rising tensions and violence against Syrian refugees. However, Syrian refugee activist rights groups warn that the trip could be dangerous as the Turkish government would not allow groups to enter at the border with Greece, while EU countries are also tightening border security. A lot of unrest going on in Europe right now. Why are there mass protests in the Belgian capital of Brussels? Well, thousands of people are protesting against the skyrocketing electricity, natural gas and food prices. And uh, they held the protest on Wednesday in order to draw attention to the sharp rise in the cost of living. Now, city police and trade unions say that around 100,000 police uh, people from across the country took part. Now, protesters marched behind banners reading, life is much too expensive, everything is going up except our wages or freeze prices and not people. And um, Belgian media polls show that 64% of people questioned a concern that they might not be able to afford electricity and gas bills, which have more than doubled over, over the last year. And just very quickly here too, I see the Italians go to the polls in their general elections uh, coming up in a few days there. The far right did well in Sweden. I understand that the extreme right uh, are looking pretty pretty good there in Italy. Yeah, the right-wing populist party, the Brothers of Italy, is the leading party, and it's dealing with the issue of top members praising Adolf Hitler on social media. Now, according to political observers, the Brothers of Italy look set to win the country's general elections, but uh, party candidate Caligero Pisano has been suspended 
after Italian newspaper La Repubblica published a social media comment eight years ago in which he hailed Hitler as a great statesman. Now, Brothers of Italy traces its roots back to the neo-fascist group, the Italian social movement established after World War II. And the party leader, Giorgia Maloney, is expected to be Italy's next prime minister. And she's tried to distance herself from the far right, saying her party is moderate conservative. Thank you very much, Dr. Anita Purcell-Sherland out of Sweden. It's 20 past five and Nathan Rarere, you are listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Coming up, we get the latest from North Canterbury with our local democracy reporter, David Hill. And our reporter, Leonard Powell, is on the hunt for a burrito. Well, uh, time to check in with the Local Democracy Reporting Programme. And this morning we're with David Hill in North Canterbury where the local government elections are hotting up. G'day, David. How are you going? Yeah, good morning. So tell me, what's happening there, local election-wise, around Waimakariri and Kaikoura? Well, it's uh, yeah, there's there's a bit going on. There's, there's a couple of uh, mayoral campaigns and uh, and um, quite a high number of candidates, probably more more candidates than there has been in recent years, certainly. And I understand a lot of those candidates arrived pretty last minute. So can you talk us through what sort of numbers we're looking at here? Oh, some of them uh, in the one of the one of the wards in the Waimakariri district, uh, Kaipoi Ward End Ward. I think there's 13 candidates for four positions, and 11 in the Rangurashi Ward, and and there were 10 in the the South Ward in Hidanui. Um And yeah, most of them came in that that last day. I think there was 25 uh, nominations in on the final morning in in the Waimakariri district, and about eight in Hidanui and. At one stage, it looked like there was going to be very few elections. No, but now it's all on uh, by the sounds yeah. of it there. So, the, so. It, it, it's always interesting when candidates arrive that no one's really expecting, right? So people either look and go, oh, there's a job there that I could maybe have, or some people look and go, perhaps there's a bit of an agenda there. So there's some suggestion around that candidates with connections to the, the fringe political movements like uh, Voices for Freedom could be contributing to the high number of candidates. What Have you heard anything about that? Well, yeah, there's been a bit in the, there's been a bit in the media about that. We, can, we it's fair to say, um, yeah, there's, there's uh, our, our, our opposition has has been out there naming, uh, naming and shaming a few of them, but but certainly they've they've been uh, infiltrating a few council meetings in recent months. Um, let, let's just say the the Waimakariri just district council meetings have have probably been livelier in the last few months than than they have in the last ten years. Wow, that's that's amazing. Hey, David, thank you very much. We'll get, keep you on to that one there. David Hill, uh, with all the news there coming out of North Canterbury. Yeah, it's very interesting, the uh, the local elections uh, happening all around. Remember to do your votes. I think the envelopes are out there where I live uh, in West Auckland. we got ours, and you do the voting form, and then it says fold it up and make sure the address is in the window of the envelope. But when you fold the paper up, it doesn't it doesn't work. So you have to do a really strange kind of origami and then you can't quite shut the envelope so it ends up you know, kind of having to flatten it with things just to get it in there as well. That is that is working hard for your democracy. Like sands through the hourglass so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 22nd of September. Um, happy 64th birthday to the beautifully voiced Andrea Bocelli. 
Now, you, you know that Andrea Bocelli is, is blind, so he had um, a congenital glaucoma from when he was very young. But apparently, what made him blind was when he was 12, he was playing a game of football, uh, a game of soccer, and he had an accident there where he hit his head, suffered a brain hemorrhage, and that's where the total blindness came from uh, for Andrea Bocelli. A couple of musicians are 65 years old today. Nick Cave... It kind of sings on one note, and it's always right at the very left-hand side of the keyboard if you're a piano player, but Nick Cave. And also a woman born, Joan Marie Larkin. You know her as Joan Jett. And uh, boy, what a karaoke favourite she is. You know, there's always the one to get up, and the people that want to join in and just do that. Ow! In the middle of I Love Rock and Roll. Uh, on this day in 1964, Fiddler on the Roof appeared in Broadway, and what a run it had. It ran for more than 3,000 performances, and it went on to win nine Tony Awards. In the year 2002, hundreds of thousands of rural protesters converged on London to demonstrate in favour of fox hunting. And it didn't work because two years later the House of Commons banned it in England and Wales. And this is um, quite a big day where TV shows tend to debut in the United States. So, how's this for a run? 1982, Family Ties. 1986, Elf. Yeah, okay. uh, 1994 was the first episode of Friends that aired and in 1976 a show that meant that uh, you know when you go to weddings and there's always the three bridesmaids that think they, they look kind of cool in their outfits how should we stand for the picture you know how they stand in the picture and you know that because on this day in 1976 Charlie's Angels debuted on ABC yep the one you know the one with the fake guns and that and the one in the middle there we go and that is the day of our life we like to call the 22nd of September Switch the music up a little bit this morning for our man for the business team, Nicholas Poynton, because Nicholas had this great plan yesterday. You know, you know how the, the on the program here we like to play little bits of music. Mm. And Katrina and I were chatting a couple of weeks ago. Went, how funny would it be on the twenty first of September oh. if all the music was that? But we forgot. But <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a funeral for the Queen. You know what I mean? Oh, you, you, look at. I'm glad you've had the opportunity to play this song. It's a banger. Oh, it goes hard, doesn't it? It does, eh? When, this song has never been bad ever in its life. Um, so tell me about this. What is the what are finfluences? These are your Warren Buffett styled influences on Instagram. People oh. who think they are investing gurus, they are out there on social media. TikTok t- seems to be this, the platform of choice. Yeah, out there just hawking financial advice often they're pushing um, obscure cryptocurrencies or investment products that they themselves don't necessarily understand and they've been they drew some attention from the financial markets authority a year ago when they released a guidance about how you should be speaking about money and financial products online because you can't stray into providing financial advice because only licensed financial advisors can actually do that Mm. but because on social media you know, it's very hard to police everyone's out there saying something. Uh, it, it, it can be a difficult job for the FMA to actually enforce this. So they're trying to, you know, do some consciousness uh, consciousness raising to hopefully hopefully people can identify this sort of stuff for themselves. And no, you should probably consult multiple sources of information before they make a financial decision. But we got mm. a survey yesterday from a, the price comparison website Finder. Interestingly, it found that 25% of young people get, oh sorry, 44% of people aged under 25 get their investment advice from social media, which is, you may say, a little bit concerning. But yes. after speaking with the FMA, they say, look, 
young people they've grown up on on yeah, they've grown that, up that online. That is their world. This this should not be surprising. No. That they're consulting information there. They said that re- research that they've done shows that okay, although that social media is the main place that people get information from. Young people still trust it less than maybe trusted institutions. It could be information from your bank, from your KiwiSaver provider, price comparison websites, these sorts of things. So they feel like young people—they're not all—they're—they're all right. They've got a healthy dose of skepticism when they approach this stuff. We don't necessarily need to panic, but we do need to be vigilant for these sorts of actors that are out there at the moment. And I also think too, perhaps if these these institutions are going, oh, they need to learn better. Mountain to Muhammad. Go and put it over there then, yeah. where they look at things. Don't go, why aren't you over here looking at my my broadsheet paper? Because <laughs> like, we don't. <laughs> well, very much so. I think yeah. it's um, you're seeing a rise of things like finance podcasts and companies that yeah. operate in that space see a market for it and they're clipping it, they're putting it on TikTok. Like, I think I think you know, marketing people are are going where the people are. Yeah. TikTok is. Uh, I'm I'm very proud. I'm not on there. I plan to I plan to never be old there. I'm yeah. only in my mid twenties, but I've discovered I'm actually too old for TikTok. Yeah, so already, it's oh. the first social media platform that is. Um, yeah, sorry, oldie, that, that, that I'm not welcome on. So but, tell um, me about this in New Zealand. Um, seeing a better than expected rebound. Yeah, look, I think I talk about this just because in New Zealand it's one of those companies where, given that we own half of it, we should probably care a little bit about its financial performance. They released some uh, half year profit guidance. For the current year we are in, between two hundred and two hundred and seventy-five million dollars. That's the pre-tax profit. That compares with a pre-tax loss of nearly three hundred and seventy million dollars last year. So a real reversal in fortunes, and it, it's really been credited to the fact that uh, the company's been quick to restore or uh, solidify its balance sheet, to open up and take advantage of the fact that people now do want to travel mm. overseas. But there are a number number of caveats with this. One is that this forecast is based on the current price of oil, not too much volatility there. But Look, if we step back from it, encouraging signs to see that our national carrier, which is owned by about half of it is owned by us, the Mm. taxpayers, is in a pretty good financial position. Um, Be interesting to see, you know, how emerging economic challenges, things like things like you know the risk of a recession, high fuel prices, a weak New Zealand dollar, how that's going to affect its future performance. But at the moment, looking pretty Mm, good. good. Wonderful. Thank you very much. You can hear more from the business team. You won't see them on TikTok, though, on our morning report this morning at 10 to 7. So let's see what your New Zealand dollar is doing around the world. It is buying you currently 58.71 US cents, 88.28 Australian cents, 59.50 Euro cents, 51.90 British pence, 4.14 yuan, and 84.79 Japanese yen. Well, an Auckland couple has set up camp at the Botanic Gardens after the mysterious disappearance of their beloved dog a week ago. Burrito, the poodle, went missing while they were taking him for a walk. And although there's been some sightings since, he so far evaded capture. Burrito's social media following is so big, news of his disappearance has gone viral, prompting dog owners from all over the city to join the search. So where is Burrito? We sent Leonard Powell along to join the search party. Burrito's owner Grace says last Thursday evening's dog walk was just like any other. Her three-year-old microchipped red poodle started playing with another dog at the off-leash part of Manurewa's botanic gardens. They went just around these bushes and I was like telling the other dog owner, I was like, oh, it's okay, my dog's going to be back because Burrito always comes back. 
when he doesn't see me. After 30 seconds, the other dog came back to the owner, but Burrito never came back. Grace and her husband, Isaac Leola, have owned Burrito for three years. He even has his own Instagram account with almost 3,000 followers. He's our everything. We don't have a human child. He's our fur baby. He's our child. So the reason why, I mean, I'm pretty sure like all dog owners will feel the same because he's, he's our child. He's a family member. He's not, he's not just a dog or a pet, but he's our child. Yeah. <laughs> In the main car park at the top of the Botanic Gardens, I meet local dog walkers Cherie and Marianne just two of the dozens of dog owners come in every day to search for burrito. Our heart goes out to the people that have lost their dog. Yeah, we got two Shih Tzus and we know that if we lost our Shih Tzus, you know, we'd like um, to, to get them back. Whilst there have been some sightings of burrito in the neighbouring Totara Park and surrounding streets, he so far evaded capture. It's prompted dog lovers from all over Auckland to flock to the gardens to offer their support. Oh, I really hope that they find burrito because, yeah, having a dog myself, you know, I can't imagine how they'd be feeling losing their, you know, little fur baby. Cherie and Marianne say people have come to walk their own dogs and search for burrito at the same time, whilst others have posted flyers or gone door to door. We've seen on Facebook um, uh, quite a few people have been supporting them and looking out for them and going going for walks at night and looking out for burrito. They're going to put a reward up. It's up to two and a half thousand, isn't it? Grace says they've offered the reward in case burrito has been stolen. She and her husband have now set up camp at the gardens and taken leave from their jobs in the hope burrito will return during the night. We're not expecting anything, but like all people would just call and text me. It's like, do you need anything? Do you need food or anything? Like, how else can we help you? And we were just like, we're just like so blessed. Like, sometimes you want to give up, but like, I never thought of giving up. But then like, sometimes you just like feel exhausted and tired. But like, the amount of support and help and the positivity of the community is just overwhelming. There's a community feel at the north end of the Botanic Gardens where dogs can roam unleashed with many people parking up on Everglade Drive and strolling around through the bushes. Local Caroline stops to give Grace a hug and wish all the best with finding burrito. As we leave the park, she shares with me how the dog community is feeling about the situation. I'm heartbroken for the family because I know dogs are just part of your family and so without your dog at home you'd be totally bereft. So I really feel for them, I really do. And I hope Burrito comes home and I keep manifesting him that he just comes walking out of that bush at some stage <laughs> and just comes home to his mum and dad. Grace and Isaac say they'll be staying put at the park for the time being. As we have posted on the social media, Burrito is wearing um, blue, orange and light blue stripy collar and harness and he still got the tag with his name and our phone numbers. He's a brown toy poodle, he's small, he's only like 5.6 kgs. He's, he's a very fluffy boy and yeah he can run really fast. Anyone wanting to help out can find details on Burrito's Instagram or Facebook page. Twenty-two to six. I'm Nathan Rarere. You're with first up here on RNZ National. Still to come, we will catch up with our correspondent Anna Burns Francis, who is in the United States. Obviously, big news about Donald Trump and also Jacinda Ardern at the United Nations General Assembly. Back home in New Zealand, Acting Prime Minister Grant Robertson talks to us about the awarding of government contracts, why we don't have windfall taxes, and also about Jacinda Ardern's trip to New York. <laughs> Thank you.
The professionals of Morning Report are up after six. It's Susie Ferguson and Guy on Espinar sitting right there. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Kia ora. Very well, thanks. We're all about Russia today. Lots of uh, yeah. Russia and Ukraine. It's worrying, isn't it, uh, with uh, Putin's threats about using nuclear weapons. We're yeah. going to be talking about that. We'll cross to uh, Kiev to talk to our correspondent there. Of course, uh, Putin's also called up, what, 300,000 reservists. So this is a real escalation. And then we heard before the Latvians apparently go, no, 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 you can't run away to here. It's like they're putting the wall up, which makes it like, no, you have to go and fight in that war. A lot of pressure there. Oof. And, of course, this coming as uh, Joe Biden uh, has condemned Russia's invasion at the UN General Assembly. He's called it a shameless violation. So uh, we'll be in New York uh, this morning as well. Uh, Jacinda Ardern's there, of course, too. She's delivered a speech on behalf of Prince William at a star-studded New on behalf York. Of Prince William. It's kind of weird, isn't it? So You'll read it. Yeah, that's right. So huh. it's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cross to uh, Craig McCulloch, who's over there with the Prime Minister covering covering that event. And you and I were just talking about the smash and grab yeah. stuff. Yeah. At the local malls, where uh, the Auckland's Mount Albert community um, patrol groups have gone on high alert because of a violent smash and grab there. So we'll be having another look into that this morning. Yeah, thank you very much, Guy. Uh, well, uh, yes, uh, the Prime Minister is in New York for the United Nations General Assembly, but it was President Biden's address uh, which is making headlines this morning. I asked our US correspondent, Anna Burns Francis, who was in New York herself, what was the main focus of his speech? Well, you've got to say global conflicts, which are not impossible in today's scenario. Obviously, there's a few of them going on. So there's not just the pretty cold, frosty relationship between the US and China, but obviously the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. So President Biden tackling that head on today, saying that this is a case of one country trying to extinguish its neighbours' right to exist. He says the world's blood should run cold at what's happening. This is really strong phrasing for the President of the United States because, obviously, this is a war that they're not even supposed to be involved in, but fair to say they are, by proxy at least. And, of course, the timing of his speech comes just hours after last night Russia declared a partial mobilisation. It's really renewing its focus on this war. It's determined to come away with a win. But it's fair to say that Vladimir Putin's continued aggression has not won him any more friends at the UN this week. No. Tell you who has been winning friends, which I've noticed in a lot of photographs. Maybe it's just me or the ones I've seen. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern seems to be shoved right in the middle of every picture with people there. Um, Tell us about what, what the day holds for her and the New Zealand delegation, and if you've noticed that as well. Certainly I have. And it's really funny because when you are, as I am, based overseas, you have a very different perception of how people are seen on the world stage as to how they're seen by a domestic audience. And it is very fair to say that Jacinda Ardern is a very popular world leader. Meetings that she wants to have with other world leaders are quite often replicated. They also want to be seen to be in her company. So busy week continues. She's been at Earthshot this morning. Now, this is an award ceremony or a prize ceremony uh, to tackle climate change, the world's climate issues. And interestingly, it was supposed to be headed up by Prince William. Now, obviously, he's had other commitments in the UK this week. And so Jacinda Ardern's position was elevated at Earthshot today. Lots of other big names there, including Matt Damon. Now, I don't think they were actually even in the room at the same time, but they were all still on the same billing. Uh, And so while these aren't even directly UN-related events, and they're not even those, you know, investment or trade-type events we see the Prime Minister taking part in when she makes these overseas trips. They are still really important for making sure that New Zealand 
has a position on the world stage and gets those sorts of headlines that are part of these trips. They're not all just solid political talk fests. Yeah. Um, there was massive news that's coming out overnight here at New Zealand Times. So hopefully you can um, help us in this. Help me understand this. Donald Trump, right? So I see the district attorney in New York has filed a civil suit. Can you, can you explain what that is and what it might be, you know, how it might be damaging? Yeah, okay. So this is the Attorney General who's been looking into Donald Trump's business practices. You've got to say for quite a quite a long time now, and she is suing not just Donald Trump, but his family business and three of his adult children for overinflating his property value uh, property values. Now that's golf courses, country estates, skyscrapers, and not just here in New York, uh, but all over the country. It's nearly every single property that he owns. A two hundred and twenty page lawsuit which alleges systemic, decades-long fraud. So pumping up the price to increase your ability to borrow and then decreasing the value when it came to pay tax. We've all heard of this sort of story before, haven't we? Except this time, the value of the deceit is a quarter of a billion US dollars and the AG wants it forfeited. Now, she can also, and appears to be also, moving to relay the case to federal prosecutors and that could mean criminal charges as well. So there are... I'll, there's a long way to go, but there's also a big mountain to climb for the Trump family in defending this. Now, he hasn't actually said anything at the moment on this case, which has only just come out in the US today. Uh, he did sit for a deposition, but didn't answer any questions during the investigation. You know, I didn't hear one taxi horn honk in the background or a siren, so I'm not quite sure if you actually are in New York City, but thank you very much, Anna Burns-Francis. I'm at the UNGA. We're inside a security court, and you won't hear anything except the sounds of diplomatic cars whooshing past. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. That was Anna Burns-Francis in New York City. It is 13 minutes to 6. Time to hear from Grant Robertson, who obviously with Jacinda Ardern at the UN General Assembly, is the Acting Prime Minister of New Zealand. So we began with an issue that's seen the government under fire from their opponents, uh, awarding government contracts to the husband of Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaya Mahuta. The Public Service Commissioner Peter Hughes has announced yesterday that he will uh, conduct a review after details emerged of contracts awarded to companies owned by or related to her husband, Gannon Ormsby. I asked Mr Robertson if the way the government contracts have been awarded has been appropriate. Well, certainly the piece of work that the Public Service Commissioner is now going to do is to look at the way the government agencies concerned did their procurement of the contracts and included within that is how did they look at matters of conflicts of interest. And I think Minister Mahuda herself put that forward as something she wanted the Public Service Commissioner to do. In terms of the Minister herself, from my observation and the advice that I've been given, she herself handled those conflict of interest matters in accordance with the Cabinet Manual. And what that means is that she disclosed any conflicts of interest she had. In earlier times with with at least one of the situations, she was not part of any decision-making, even though it was an agency that she was involved in. And so our view is that she has not done anything wrong here, but the Public Service Commissioner, prompted by both herself and Minister Hipkins, has decided he needs to look across the board at this. And there may well be lessons to be learned here for all government agencies around how they do conflicts of interest. I think one thing that's worth saying, Nathan, is that especially in a country like New Zealand, it's pretty hard for there not to be some conflicts of interest. What's important is how they're managed, and that's what this inquiry will look at from the public service point of view. Okay, so, you you know, Kanga Ora, they've admitted that it it followed no formal conflict of interest process in in procuring work um, carried out by Mr Ormsby there. So that's pretty basic stuff to do if you're awarding a, a pretty valuable government contract, isn't it? 
It is. And, you know, we have high expectations around government agencies showing the highest standards of probity. That's what they should do. And whenever they're procuring work, they need to go through the due diligence. They need to make sure that they're making good decisions on behalf of taxpayers. And Kaiangora is one step removed, as it were, from day-to-day government management, but it doesn't make it any less responsible for doing the right thing here. And so we've got a number of agencies whose contracted they were all doing kind of individual inquiries into their work, and the Public Service Commissioner has said, look, let's bring that all in. I want to look at this across the board. And as I say, there may well be lessons to learn about the way that agencies look at conflicts of interest within their procurement practice. Do you expect at the end of this that we will get to see this report? 100%. And Peter Hughes actually said that when he made the announcement yesterday that he will produce that report. Obviously, it'll go to the Minister for the Public Service, but it will be publicly released as well. Okay, let's go across to the other side of the House in Parliament. Obviously, uh, the investigation into Sam Offendale being allowed to stay on now in, in the party of the National Party after Chris Luxon said that the inquiry cleared him of allegations of bullying the flatmate. It doesn't seem like anyone else in National knew about this or had seen it. So do you take Mr Luxon's word for it, or would you rather see the report? Well, I think in these situations, if you you really want to make sure that you draw a line under an issue, you need to do everything you can to be transparent. And uh, the Labour Party had this experience. We actually had Maria Jew, the same KC now, QC then, who did this work for the National Party. She did some work for us when we had a situation involving a, a staff member. It was a very challenging and difficult situation, but we worked with Maria Jew to produce an executive summary so that we could shine some light for people on what had happened. And I think that would be an expectation quite reasonably held for the National Party in this situation as well. It's not about revealing details, and I heard on Radio New Zealand yesterday that the complainant and her father were happy for the report to be released, minus obviously their names and, and anything that would disclose their identity. So I think the National Party if they really do want to draw a line under this matter, uh, should probably look at how they can be a bit more transparent with this. Right, So, but it was as in your experience that working with Maria Jew as the QC slash KC right now, that it's not like something she puts on a report and says, no, you, this is just for you, you can't release this. Absolutely not. And, you know, in the end, it's the National Party who's commissioned this report so they can work with her. There may be, you know, the odd, some details that need to be redacted. That's why an executive summary approach was what we used were because we were dealing with a very sensitive topic in that instance. I just think at the moment what we've got is, you know, not even the National Party caucus has seen the report. And if the National Party wants to draw a line, they know what they need to do. Certainly, they make plenty of comments about transparency within government. Here's an opportunity for them to practice what they preach. Okay, let's uh, have a look at what's happening in New York. So the United Nations General Assembly is there. We saw the Prime Minister hitch and ride with the Canadians, uh, so that was nice uh, getting across there. And it's being reported that one of her priorities is introducing a new scheme, and this is aimed at online stuff, at how algorithms affect people online. So can you explain to us what and help us understand what she wants to achieve by that? Yeah, sure. And and obviously this stems out of what's called the Christchurch Call. And that was uh, a movement, essentially, that the Prime Minister looked to kick off in the wake of the horrendous terrorist attack in Christchurch and on the 15th of March 2019. And the Prime Minister, working with Emmanuel Macron, the French president, has brought together uh, the large technology companies, the likes of Microsoft and, and Twitter and so on, to work together on how we can make the internet a safer environment. 
And one of the things that guides what happens when we go onto those websites like Twitter and Facebook and others are algorithms. And essentially what that is is that it's machine learning that looks at what you're doing and starts directing you to particular places. And one of the pieces of research that's already been underway by a lot of people is that these algorithms tend to create or reinforce views and they start leading you potentially down rabbit holes and they have been by some people blamed for some of the more extremist behaviour, some of the, the misinformation and disinformation turning into conspiracy theories. So what has um, been announced in, in New York is a project where governments are going to be working with some of these large tech companies to identify how algorithms are influencing people's behaviour and ultimately lead towards a set of privacy-enhancing technologies, which means that people can protect themselves, that we can understand more about how the algorithms influence behaviour and how people can set themselves up so they won't be influenced in that way. So this is the first stage of the research into that. Algorithms do guide an awful lot of what we do nowadays, Nathan, and I think it's really good work to be able to highlight that, research the impact they're having, and then potentially develop tools to limit their influence. Yeah. Um, also at the UN, the Secretary-General there, uh, Antonio Guterres, is, is calling on countries, he says, look, you should impose windfall taxes on fossil fuel companies, you know, divert the money to countries suffering due to climate change, etc. Why aren't we discussing windfall taxes in this country? Yeah, I think there's a particularly specific thing going on here, which is in the Northern Hemisphere in the wake of what's happened in the Ukraine, the energy companies there have been making enormous amounts of money as the price of gas has been increasing exponentially. Obviously, much of Europe is reliant on the gas that they've got via Russia and Ukraine, and that's seen you know, huge spikes. And when I was in the UK in August, people's energy bills were quadrupling from where they'd been the year before. And so there is a lot of pressure in that context on uh, those energy companies around these massive profits they've been making from that. Related to that, and the point that Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary-General, is making, is this is also about fossil fuels, and they are fuels that we want to make sure they're being phased out from the world. So there's a specific set of things going on here. A little bit different in New Zealand with the energy companies, where what by and large, banks? because... Because of renewable sources, yeah. it doesn't apply. Yeah. Banks is a really interesting one where, you know, I've taken a look at the profits that banks have been making over the years. And what I would say to you is there's not so much a windfall there. There's a pretty consistent level of profits that banks make. Now, the stable banking industry we've got in New Zealand has really helped us as we've gone through COVID, having those, knowing that those banks were there as we've gone through COVID and the global financial crisis. Having said that, mm. banks operate in part on the basis basis of social license. And I certainly would not want to see any companies, be they banks or supermarkets or anybody else, extracting profits unfairly on New Zealanders. And so I think the banks know that they have a social license they have to live up to. Um, we've been working hard with the Reserve Bank and others to make sure we get all the transparency and all the systems in place. But Certainly in terms of windfall profits, um, there isn't any evidence of that per se for banks in New Zealand right now. They've actually had a very consistent level of profits. 
That is the acting Prime Minister Grant Robertson. To uh, wrap up this morning's show, we will have uh, some of your feedback uh, that has come in. Emmett uh, commented on Putin, said, look, Putin is in quicksand and sinking rapidly. His catastrophic blunder in attacking Ukraine will be his undoing. A one-way trip to hell is his destiny. Thank you very much, Emmett. Angela in Rotorua has uh, written in, she says, look, Putin will never back down. Just like Stalin, he will sacrifice his own people and their millions as well as annihilate the West to preserve face. Yeah. And uh, Pick says, uh, the cost of the Queen's funeral, just how much is New Zealand contributing via our day off? Pick, that's of course Pick from uh, the Peanut Butter Company. There you go. Pick, I'll, I'll buy Jerry your Peanut Butter. There we go. Um, Jock, uh, love the work, you guys. Yeah, keep up the light touch with these troubled times. Um, remember too, someone's lost, lost their beloved puppy there too, Burrito. Now, I know that there was some dogs that went missing in the South Island, called Dice and Weed, uh, they went missing and I don't know if they ever actually came back. So, you know, I mean, we saw the depth of feeling there when uh, I went to a game of rugby to watch the Blues, I think it was after lockdown finished, and a plane flew over with a big banner behind it saying, Dice and Weed, bring them home. So I think, hopefully, uh, we can bring back Burrito, because I know there's many dog lovers out there that love your dogs, and imagine if your puppy went. Um, so, for those of you that are wondering why is this song on, Katrina and I had a great idea the other week. You know those great ideas? We went, hey, on the 21st of September, let's just play 21st September. You're always supposed to leave your cookies out, remember, for Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, on the night of the, the 20th for them to arrive. Uh, so we'll go out with this this morning. Morning Report is next with Susie and Guyon. From all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a wonderful day. Keep your eyes out for a burrito, and uh, we'll be back in your ears after uh, four.